Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining me here on the Bare Bones Yoga Podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. My name is Karen Fabian. I'm the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher and educator, and my goal here is to provide you, the yoga teacher, and other listeners with interesting, compelling content designed to pique your interest in teaching help you grow as a teacher, and support you on your path to sharing this wonderful practice with your students. I've been teaching for over 14 years, and through my classes, workshops, online courses, books, and other content, I focus on the anatomy of yoga and how teachers can learn this complex subject and present it to their students in an understandable way, all designed to help them bring more impact to their teaching. Even though we're not in the same room, I want you to envision for each episode that we've sat down for tea in a cozy coffee shop. Some days we'll talk about technical teaching topics, while some days we might have a teacher friend join in on the conversation, and other days we'll face some of the personal challenges that can come up when we take on the journey of being a teacher, knowing that the more authentic we can be, the more we can impact others. For more information about my products and programs and to contact me at any time, just visit my website at barebonesyoga.com. Let's get into today's episode. All righty. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Barebones Yoga, and this is episode 25. Today, I have a special guest on the show, international yoga teacher and a true mentor of mine, Tiffany Cruikshank. Tiffany has been teaching for over 20 years and as an international teacher has trained hundreds of teachers around the world through her program, Yoga Medicine. She has a pre-med bachelor's degree in medicinal plant biology and a master's in acupuncture and oriental medicine with a specialty in sports medicine and orthopedics. Tiffany was previously the acupuncturist and yoga teacher at the Nike World Headquarters in Portland, Oregon, and has worked with over 25,000 patients. I'm sure you've seen her on the cover of Yoga Journal or many of the other premier yoga publications, or perhaps you've been to one of her workshops or trainings, or even taken one of her classes on Yoga Glow. I'm currently enrolled in her 500-hour training program, having completed many of her modules, and I can share from experience they are some of the most comprehensive, well-structured, and inspiring trainings I've ever taken. I am truly honored to have her on the podcast today. So Tiffany, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Karen. Thanks for having me. Sure. Um, So I gave a little brief overview that you just heard. And I I know so many people know you as a teacher today, although some people may not know how you ended up teaching yoga. (laughs) (laughs) You don't always know people's kind of origin story. So I was just wondering if you could start out by sharing a little bit about what got you starting into teaching yoga, especially because I don't know that that everybody listening even knows that you have an acupuncture background as well. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I actually started, it's an interesting story. I was a troublemaker and <laughs> my parents sent me away on a wilderness program and it was kind of what sparked my interest really in holistic health. It was really empowering for me to learn how to survive at age 14 and, um, you know, learning how to use the environment. And then one of my, one of my guides out on this wilderness, um, it was a few months actually, this wilderness wow journey, um, was also an an herbalist. So he would take me out on plant walks. He was so excited because 
I don't think anyone else was really interested in, in what he had. It was a, a wilderness program for teenagers who were struggling and, um, and I was really interested. So he would take me out on plant walks and um, it just really intrigued me, not just the survival, but being able to use our environment as a healing mechanism and, and being able to find everything we need in the world around us. And um, so it really sparked an interest there for me when I got home soon after there, there were, there weren't any yoga studios. There wasn't any internet at the time. Um, and I just remember seeing this little wooden sign that said yoga and a phone number and eventually remembered it. And my mom drove me and it was in a chiropractor's office and there were a few of us. And I mean, I was 14 at the time, so my memory might be a little hazy, but I think yeah. most of the women in there were probably in their sixties. There were maybe five or six other people and there was something about it. I mean, I grew up really athletic and so the physicality of it was really interesting to me, but there was always something deeper um, that I don't even know that I was aware of at the time, something really intriguing. Um, I kept going back and um, if he invited me to come and practice, he had a, a class out of his house. He had a little room off his garage and I think it fit like four people in it. <laughs> mm -hmm. I didn't know it at the time, but they were doing Ashtanga, Mysore style. And um, and so it was a it was not a lead class, but there was something about walking in that room and hearing the breath and and the movement and you know and being taught like that in a one on one setting to how to work with my body. It really was all intertwined. I think my fascination with holistic health and with yoga to me, yoga is such a just another tool of of this holistic health modality that I love and. So I, I kept apprenticing with an herbalist and studying yoga. I, I got really sick of high school. So I, I finished up quickly and uh, got done early and went off to college at 16 and did my pre-med undergrad. I knew I wanted to go into holistic health. I um, did a undergrad in medicinal plant biology and nutrition and did all my pre-med requirements and looked at all these different schools, naturopathic, Ayurvedic, Chinese medicine, Western medicine. Um, and then I found it an acupuncturist at one of the yoga studios I was teaching at a couple of years into my college. And, um, he was also a Buddhist monk and, um, it, and I started apprenticing with him. I was able to kind of actually create a class out of it in my curriculum as part of my, uh, as part of my undergrad, it was one of my courses I created myself, which was mentoring with him. And, um, it was just so fascinating to me. I was also seeing, uh, looking into naturopathic and, and all these other modalities. Um, I actually almost quit school and went to Ayurvedic school and uh, quit college and went to Ayurvedic school, but ended up staying in my undergrad. And, and I'm glad I did. I think, you know, you learn, you learn some things in undergrad, right, right. <laughs> but, um, but I studied, I apprenticed with him and just found this fascination of of the art of Chinese medicine, of being able to make sense of not just the symptoms and, and treating symptoms, but really weaving together who this person is in a very unique way to the individual, mm -hmm. which made sense to me. It made sense that everyone is so different and um, like to give everyone the same medicine for this, for, you know, a headache or for uh, whatever might be going on. It just seemed kind of silly. So um, I became really intrigued with that. So I finished my, my undergrad and then I went on to Chinese medicine and I did my four years of that. And then I was just so interested in the physicality. I went on to, to create a, a specialty, to do a specialty in uh, sports medicine and orthopedics. So that's kind of always been my love and, and teaching yoga all the way through um, my, I remember at one point teaching, uh, I was in my Chinese medicine school and there was a point where I was taking 13 classes one quarter and wow. I was taking like 11 classes a week. 
And I remember my mom saying to me, why are you still teaching yoga when you know you're going to quit when you get a real job? <laughs> and now here I am so many years later, uh, mostly teaching yoga and, and seeing very few patients. Now for gosh, 12 years or so though, I, I had a full load of 60 right. patients a week. So I definitely know what it's like to, to see a lot of patients, but um, it's just funny that it's kind of come full circle now and, and really come back to mostly, mostly the yoga side. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting too, because that from that very first time when you were interested in plants, when you were on that wilderness retreat, and I just think about now how there's so much more emphasis on a balanced approach to treating anything. I mean, even just looking at just the current emphasis or um, kind of popularity of things like CBD oil and all of that is plant-based. And it's just funny to me how that's really how you started. And I mean, I think it's it's incredible where we are today. I would have never guessed if you had told me back in the 90s that, you know, holistic health would be this yeah. big trend and everyone would be buying organic and doing yoga and meditate, like meditating. Right. That's the craziest. And meditation is so huge now. Um, but it's amazing. And I, and I think it's such a cool place. There's in the yoga world now, I think some of the people who have been around for a while, I've sensed that there's there's some happiness and dis and and unhappiness with where the yeah. yoga world is right now. But for me, it's kind of like I'm always just so excited because for so long I felt like the black sheep. You know, my parents were always so afraid I was in a cult, and you know, <laughs> you had to do so much convincing people of why yoga is this great thing and how it can be helpful. And and nowadays, it's it's just so nice. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different things going on now. And I think there's pros and cons to something like yoga exploding like it has, but I just think it's such a positive thing to get into people's hands. Um, you know, if they want to use it in different ways, I think that's just wonderful. And I'm just so happy that it is where it is. <laughs> right, right, right. So, you know, and this is partly what I think you're alluding to kind of by talking about the explosion of the industry there. I know for a lot of people still who haven't tried yoga, it can be really confusing to try to figure out what kind of teacher they want to connect with, what kind of style. So can you share a little bit about your teaching style and what the focus is of your teaching? I mean, I know from being in your training program that you teach with both, both this Eastern and Western medicine emphasis. What, I mean, it sounds like part of what led you to that is connected to what you just described as your kind of initial path. But, you know, tell us a little bit about your teaching style and the focus of your teaching. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you summed up really well. I, a lot of what I do is what I love doing is fusing East and West because there's, there's a brilliance to the tradition and the traditional practices of yoga that we can't always explain. There's, there's yeah. a bit of, of magic in it that, that I don't know that we'll ever be able to explain. And, mm -hmm. and there's the experience and the, the strength of the experience, which is really a big deal. And then there's this whole other side of what we know now in science and research and, you know, anatomy and physiology that we didn't know, you know, decades ago when all this was developing um, that I think is, is really, I, I believe is our duty to, to start to bring into it and, and to still leave space for the brilliance of the tradition, to still leave space for the magic of the traditional practices, to not have to understand it all, but what I like to do is really train teachers to understand the body better on a, on a Western perspective as well and an Eastern. So we talk a lot about the energetic body and Chinese medicine and, um, and all of those things as well, but how to understand this three-dimensional person, both the physicality, the muscles, the anatomy, the physiology, the mind, the brain, and, and then the physical, you know, 
constructs of the body, whether that's Chinese medicine or Ayurveda, um, but to be able to understand this person from a three-dimensional approach so that so that nowadays they can they can really start to deconstruct the practice in a way that's helpful for them because I, I really believe there's so many great styles of yoga and they all have something to teach us mm-hmm. and they all have people that, that they work brilliant, brilliantly for, um, but just like any medicine, it doesn't work for everyone. And so right. being able to understand who this person is so that I can maybe better decode what might be helpful for them and, and see the relevance of all of these practices in our approach um, is really important to me. And, and for me, my you know, my main mission is, is connecting the medical world with yoga. So being able to bring yoga into the healthcare systems, which I think is such an important part of our healthcare. Um, and, and to do that, I have to be able to understand some of this Western concept of the body. And, and as yoga teachers, we're not their doctors, so we don't need to diagnose and know everything, which, which by the way, no one really does. But yeah, right. uh, but, you know, there's a clear boundary of, of being able to talk to the doctors and understand the body um, from a Western perspective on a certain level, but also being really clear in what our, our job is, that I'm not there to know it all or take over their health care or to diagnose them, but to work with the doctors. And, you know, the doctors want that. And, and it, you know, it's really why I created it when I started seeing patients 15 years ago or so. Um, I just saw such a big need for it in, in the West Coast, really with doctors wanting to use it, but then, you know, as a healthcare provider, it's kind of negligent to refer to yoga because just to go take a yoga class could mean you end up jumping or hopping or laying on bolsters or chanting or, you know, who knows what, there's such a variety, which is the asset of yoga is that we have so many different tools, but it also is a limiting factor as a healthcare provider, because I need to be able to um, be a little more specific when I refer them for something, if they have something, an, an right. illness or an injury going on. So we created, you know, I created yoga medicine as a way to create a, a transparent system that they know that our teachers have been trained in both East and West and are open to doctors and are not trying to take over their healthcare, but are really there to lend a helping hand to an, an overburdened system. And, you know, I think almost from what I've heard from, uh, we, we have a lot of doctors in our trainings. And from what I've heard from the doctors we have in in other countries as well is that it is, it is an international issue. It's definitely a huge issue in the U.S., but I think around the world of, of doctors being overworked and burnt out and having mental health issues too with, with that. And, um, and so I, I definitely want to support them by providing tools like teachers to help them, but also providing, um, providing care for them as well. Right. So that, you know, over the years, because I think even for myself, as I first connected with you, the yoga medicine brand came at some point after my initial connection with you. And I think maybe even the first training I went to. So was that something that you decided to kind of hone in on from kind of a program kind of branding and development standpoint because of all the reasons you just shared? Yeah. And I mean, I, I started running, I started running teacher trainings out of my house in 2002, really just yeah. as a need, like there just wasn't a lot of teacher training then. And right. you know, a lot of teachers weren't able to go away and take training. So I, I just kind of wanted to share what I had learned and what I knew. And I found I really liked teaching. Mm-hmm. And so eventually it turns into a, a 200 hour and a 500 hour teaching. And um, it was really just a way for me to help, uh, help, serve this community. I, I felt like there was a need for it. And so I was offering it and I was seeing patients full time on top of it. And, mm-hmm. um, but I really loved it. You know, it was kind of a, it was really a labor of love for me then. Um, because most of what I was doing was, was my medical practice was seeing patients. And 
Um, and then it, you know, it, there were, the need grew and um, eventually I just, it kind of evolved into yoga medicine being more of just an official um, title to help make it clear what we were offering. And um, the teacher trainings kind of slowly evolved to being more, I struggle with the word therapeutic because I think a lot of people use the word therapeutic to talk about restorative practices, right, which, right. which are very therapeutic. But for me, therapeutic yoga is what suits the individual, which sometimes is movement, sometimes is, is stillness, sometimes is yin or meditation or, you know, that's the beauty of it. There's so many things to use. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, yeah, it slowly evolved into a more therapeutic practice, which, you know, when I first running started running teacher trainings, I was still in my, uh, my 20s. Right. And I think it was my, maybe my late 20s. Well, I, I started in my mid-20s or so. But, um, and so I was still really interested in, in yoga as a, as a physical challenge. Um, but yeah, it really evolved more into my work with patients and seeing this need for yoga in the wellness sector. I mean, as a, as a healthcare provider, I just see yoga as the foundation of everything we do in health and wellness because it instills a body awareness, which mm -hmm. if I don't have awareness in my body, I, I'm so limited in working with my health and wellness because I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's working. I don't know what's helpful. And I might even just be taking pharmaceuticals and not be able to tell my doctor what's getting better and what's not. So I really believe that yoga is kind of like the baseline of what's needed to begin a health and wellness practice so that I can start this process of self-discovery, which is really a requirement of, of, of listening and observing and being able to, to do that. And so, you know, this non-judgmental attention that yoga teaches us is such a foundational part, I think, of our health and wellness, besides all of the therapeutic benefits, of course. Right, right, right. So when you say trying to kind of make a distinction from that therapeutic word, how people might perceive it in other ways, it's not just an approach to teaching yoga when someone's not well, it's an approach to teaching yoga with kind of an awareness of yoga being a critical self-care tool for all the reasons you just described. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think therapeutic yoga is, is yoga that is meeting the individual's needs in that moment um, in a way that makes us feel better. And, and, you know, for some people, maybe that is, you know, some of the fancy poses. Um, I think there's a place for that. Like in our teens and twenties, you know, in yoga, you go, you go and look at it and, and really right now, nowadays, the only place it's really used anymore is in the school systems. And it's really more of like a, a form of discipline, right. which not, not, um, not like a disciplinary action, but um, teaching them that dedication and discipline, you know, they're like very regimented and counted and they're all doing it together. And, um, and, and I think it taught me that too, you know, in my twenties, I, I woke up really early, you know, sometimes at 4am to practice and, yep. you know, you had this dedication and, um, so I think it just has to evolve and change for me. Therapeutic yoga is, isn't, isn't usually, you know, the contortionist stuff because a lot of times that's really focused on aesthetics and how the pose looks, but I can do those things in a way that folks focuses on the functionality of it. And so mm -hmm. for me, it's really just about how the pose meets my needs, my ability to be truthful with myself and what I need. Um, and, and, and then allowing the practice to evolve and meet my needs both over time, short-term and long-term. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things I didn't actually realize you had started training programs, like literally at the ground level right out of your home. And I know for some of the teachers listening, they may be at a point where they've been teaching for a while and they're struggling to think about how can I create my own training program. So could you share a little bit about how you 
I mean, I kind of think of it as almost kind of a courageous thing to say, I'm just going to put a stake in the ground and I'm going to start my own training program right out of my house. Uh, how did that, how did you have the wherewithal to do something like that? Yeah, I think, well, I, I mean, I just, I feel like at the time there was a need, there really weren't any trainings locally at all. There were none. Um, I was driving up to Vancouver, you know, every once in a while and taking some trainings or going places you know, saving up my money all year long and then going away for the first 10 years or so I taught, I felt really strongly that I had to take one training a year, mm -hmm. some sort. And there wasn't online trainings at the time. So that wasn't an option, but I would save up all my money. And, and you know, at the once a year, I'd make some kind of trip or journey to, to yeah. do something. And so, um, you know, it was just my way of giving back to the community at the time, leading them at my house. It was very like, low maintenance. It was, yeah. you know, just some teachers at the studio who knew I was doing these trainings and I would come back and, and I just found I really liked teaching. I, I, it came naturally to me to explain these things, you know, to them that I had learned. And, and, you know, eventually it kind of evolved into me learning a bunch of, uh, of these trainings and then evolving it into my own ideas based on my, my trainings, both in the medical world and, acupuncture, the acupuncture world and the orthopedic world and the yoga world and kind of blending it together based on my understanding of the human body and, and always keeping space for, you know, all of it is opinions, even in science that we try and take all our opinions out of it. But there's, there's a lot of gray area in the body as, as you've probably seen in the cadaver lab too. And, right, right. Um, it, but it's, you know, for me, it's an evolution. I think you can start big, um, though. I think that's a little more risky and a little harder to do. Mm -hmm. Um, that can work. But I, I do think for most people, it's an evolution. You start with something. I, I always feel really strongly that, you know, one thing I always tell people, whether it's in trainings or mentoring, um, is you've got to find out what you really love and what you're good at, you know, what are you good at and what do you really enjoy doing? And then find out where the, you know, what your community needs. So if you love teaching yoga and you're really good at the intellectual side or the spiritual side, or I mean, there's a million things you can be good at in yoga, right, um, right. Uh, or maybe it's with athletes or something specific or seniors or Alzheimer's, or, you know, it can be very specific or very general, but then looking for what, what the community needs, like what's relevant now. And I think that's what one thing that's been really helpful for me is constantly evolving what we're offering based on where I feel like the yoga world is and what I feel like is needed out there in the yoga world um, and constantly adapting to, to serve to serve the need and because ultimately yoga is a service and, you know, as is so many other things, but um, yeah. So if I can find that intersection of, of what I'm good at and what the world needs, I think you'll, you'll probably always find something really valuable there. It's just a matter of then putting in the time and the effort and being patient for things to come around and eventually evolve over time and maybe start in your house and grow into a studio. Yeah. I mean, I was leading them out of my house for a while and then um, I, saw a need at one of the studios they had a no they, they didn't have a teacher training but it was the there was a it was a big yoga studio in Portland it was probably one of the biggest at the time uh yoga pearl and they didn't have a teacher training program and it just felt like the right time I yeah. put it out there as an option for them and they said sure and and you know I was leading it at their place for a while and then eventually it grew and so I started offering it, you know, more internationally to people as, as the social media realm grew and, and more people wanted to come and yeah, it just evolved over time from there. Yeah. I think that's such a great, um, 
story. And I think too, again, for people who in the past handful of years have been introduced to you, they might have just thought you just kind of like landed <laughs> in this place with this wide scope and breadth of training. And it's so wonderful to hear kind of your journey. And I think for all the yoga teachers out there, you know, they're probably inspired to do big things and to reach more people and to be of service, but maybe feeling apprehensive about, well, how do I do it? You know, so I think it's, yeah. it's you know, even in today's world of social media, you can still rent a small space or do something in your house, you know, kind of thing as a way to do it. Yeah. And, and I think it's really up to you to find that that niche to carve that place. I think it can be a little intimidating because there's so much going on now, but I also see it as an asset. I mean, back when I was teaching, our whole job was, you know, in the nineties and early 2000 was, was educating people and getting them to buy in to come and do yoga. And nowadays, at least with yoga being such a, you know, a well-known modality, it's really more about carving out your niche and finding the community that you want to work with and being creative about where you're going to offer that. And again, I really can't stress enough is like looking for the needs in your community, like really thinking about it as a service and an offering of like, what do people need for me? What can I offer that people need right now? And, and, and theming everything around that. I mean, I even think of that when I go in to teach a class, I teach public classes here once a month. And, you know, I'm always just like feeling like what's, and obviously this is my own personal interpretation of what the vibe is in the world and the yoga world right now of or maybe the season or the time of year or the weather or whatever it is, like what is it that people need right now mm -hmm. that might be helpful to them? And how can I be of service to show up and, and give something from what I'm good at, you know? And I don't need to worry about like what's popular right now or what I think people want, but like what am I good at that they might need? Yeah. And, and how can I offer that and, and, and not be attached to the outcome, <laughs> yeah. which is hard. I, I love that too, because I think that shows, and this is again, such a great message to share with teachers, that intentionality behind what you're doing rather than, and I know when people are newer, it's harder for them to have intention that maybe they act upon in the spur of the moment because they might be attached to a particular um, yeah. sequence that they came in, you know, kind of hell bent on doing. Um, although I think it's, it's, really important to keep in mind exactly what you just said is to have an intention before you go in to make that connection between what am I good at and what is the need and if someone were to come up to you after class and say hey why did you focus on that today you could be like hey here's exactly what my thought process was you know kind of yeah it's all super clear um, and I think there's so much room for more like it's easy to feel overwhelmed like there's so much going on in the yoga world but you have to remember that it's an asset. There's so much going on. So there's so much opportunity. I just have to keep looking for more yeah. options. And the, the yoga world's constantly evolving and changing. So who knows what's next on the horizon? So you just got to keep putting yourself out there and doing the hard, the, doing the work that you'd love to do. Yeah. Um, you know, that's something I've always done is just I've continued to pour myself, you know, into what I do and pour my time and energy into it because I love it. And, and, you know, and it, it'll come, you just, it just takes, takes time. And, and, you know, I just have to be able to be persistent with it. And, and if I'm doing what I love, if I continue to really look for how I can meet the world's needs with what I love, it's, it's a lot easier to sustain. Right, right. No, I think those are all good messages. And I think the theme of patience is so important. And I know a lot of times as you know, really any teacher, because of what you're bringing up, there is so much out there, scrolls through social media, there may be that 
concern about getting caught in that comparison game. But I think you're right. It's just having that perspective that having so much visibility to yoga gives every single teacher so much more opportunity than the converse. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So tell us a little bit about, you were mentioning the, the kind of the giving back theme and the being of service. And we're talking about this all in the context of you and your teaching. Although I know that there's a big component of your yoga medicine program that has to do with your SIVA program and the outreach that you do. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think for me, it, there is a really important part of this work that we do is service oriented, whether it's just teaching students or giving back specifically doing nonprofit work. Um, I grew up working on my mom's, my mom ran a homeless shelter and um, yeah. I've always felt really strongly about the importance of, of doing service work. And for me personally, from my experience, how it really gives perspective to our lives and reminds us of what's important. Um, and so, you know, as, as our, as our community built, I saw this, this, this powerful community of teachers as a, as an access point too, to be helpful, to give back to the world. And, um, when I was in my internship, I, I, I had the opportunity to work with a lot of different, um, demographics. I got to work in a drug and alcohol center, a domestic violence center, a, a at-risk youth center. And, um, it really changed my perspective. It was such a great opportunity for me as a healthcare provider um, to, to look at how I serve with compassion and, um, and then also get perspective. And so I, I wanted to be able to offer it initially to our yoga teachers as part of our teacher training as a way to, you know, it is tough being a yoga teacher right now and, and finding the sustainability. And I wanted to bring this perspective back to them of remembering that what we do is a service and, and, and giving them a little perspective on, on what we do. Um, but eventually it really evolved into, it's not even part of our teacher training anymore. It's a, it's a brand on its own. So it's the Yoga Medicine Seva Foundation where we um, have actually taken on a whole new shelter of our own. It's um, a shelter in, in Delhi that rescues women from trafficking um, and, and gives them not just food and shelter and medical and, and yoga as an empowerment tool, but more importantly, pairs them up with meaningful vocational skills that bring them above the poverty line, which is a really big deal um there because a, a lot of a lot of shelters will rescue them and 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 provide food and shelter some of them will provide you know menial like spice grinding and things that don't get them above the poverty line but we really work hard some of them go to college we've got one girl in law school right now um and so it, it's for me as a woman who's had access to education and all of these tools um you know which, which still takes a lot of effort on our end to do i um However, like seeing these women not having access, not having a choice, right. um, I mean, it was just, it's just mind boggling to me. I just, I can't even imagine the industry is so corrupt and so overwhelming. You know, you go and you visit these girls and you hear the statistics and hear about the industry. We, we go and visit the shelter every couple of years and take our top donors with us. And um, it's overwhelming. And then you meet the girls and you realize like, yes, it's overwhelming, but even if we can save one girl, even if we save a hundred, we've got a hundred girls a year in our shelter or a hundred girls at any one time in our shelter. And um, like even just saving a few right. is such a huge deal to see the impact on their lives and to see the confidence and the glow. And you would never guess what these girls have been through. They're so inspiring to me. And it's, I mean, it, it's just such a big, 
perspective shift to go and see these girls. And, um, and, you know, for, for this kind of work, our money goes a long way in India. So it's really not about going and visiting them so much as, as funding this project to be able to stay continuing to operate all year long and, um, and run. And so we work really hard to, to raise money in a lot of different ways and mm-hmm. keep it going. That's amazing. So there are people on the ground level there that keep the program running there. Yes. And you have folks here that are involved in, in raising money and getting visibility out there. I know a lot of your products that you sell, some of, some of them yeah. the proceeds go to support the foundation. Yeah, pretty much everything I do nowadays. I mean, my books have been around for a long time, so those are kind of separate. Those are done, those are through the publisher, but um, pretty much all the stuff I do. The the I've got a new line coming out with Kira. I always have stuff coming out with them. Um, all that stuff goes to our nonprofit. But you know, it's really funded by a lot of it is really small donations. You'd be surprised. You know, anywhere from twenty dollars to fifty dollars. Our teachers do a lot of classes and workshops by donation, which is fantastic because it it gets new people in to see their teachings and their classes, which is right. a win win. So it's wonderful. Um, right. And you know, we have all sorts of different fundraising stuff, and um, so it's it's fun to watch it build the community too. And studios like it because it gets you know their communities involved. And I mean, I just think it's such a wonderful thing all around. Sure, sure. I think too, similar to what we were just talking about in terms of starting when you started out teaching in your home, this idea of adding a SIVA component to any, any teacher, you know, adding it either through what you're saying, like doing a class every once in a while where you make the proceeds, you know, proceeds go to something else, or even starting on a small basis, a contribution that you make from your earnings towards something that inspires mm-hmm. you can Mm -hmm. really, I think, give you that kind of purpose beyond just that one aspect of your teaching. And I think it's a great way to build community. I mean, it reminds us how little we are when we're alone and how powerful we are when we're with a group. And I think this is one of the beautiful things you see in the yoga world now is, is the power in the community to get behind things and to speak up and to, to make a change in the world. Um, It's pretty powerful to see. Yeah. And this, this kind of leads me to my next question. I mean, you alluded to kind of the network that has developed of teachers that you have. And I know when people go onto the yoga medicine website, they can look up a teacher and it sounds like that's a resource that you probably offer to doctors and other healthcare professionals as a way to find teachers who have gone through your programs. Can you share a little bit about, you know, again, and just thinking about listeners who are teachers who may also be interested in kind of scaling their community in in the form of other teachers who teach in a similar style. How did that come to be? Was that just like a natural outgrowth of your training programs that you then started to think, let's build this as a network of teachers? Well, it kind of followed the whole line of wanting to create this transparent platform for healthcare providers to connect with. We, you know, I had trained a bunch of people um, and we wanted to be able to connect them. We've got like over 7,000 teachers now around the world that have trained with us. Um, and so it's a pretty big network and, and it, but still pretty small. I mean, if you think about the whole world, um, what we wanted to be able to do is, is create a, a transparent way for doctors to get on there and be like, I have a shoulder patient type in my zip code. 
here's someone near me who's done the shoulder module um, so that uh, they could be able to do that. I actually based it on a, a, a technique that I, when I first graduated from Chinese medicine school and was doing my sports medicine training, I got trained in a technique called active release. And it was a really great modality for me, a great hands-on modality. It helped me a lot, but it also listed us as, as practitioners. And I got a lot of patients from it. It helped me build my practice. And it was something I really wanted to be able to offer to our teachers. I know how hard teachers work to make a living, how, how, how much effort it takes. And, and I really wanted to be able to offer that back to our teachers as a way to help them be successful. And, you know, especially after investing so much in their own education, I wanted them to be able to show something for it when, you know, obviously the reality is it, it shows in our interactions. Students right. know, you know, when you feel confident and when you're, you know, it shows in your interactions, of course, but I wanted to be able to provide a platform for them to connect with people and, and, and to serve the healthcare providers so that there was just this transparent thing for healthcare providers. We're also working on, on courses for doctors right now too, for them to, you know, to work on their own self-care, right. um, not necessarily to be yoga teachers, though we have a lot of doctors in our, our teacher trainings. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that was, that was kind of where that came from. Yeah, I mean, I think that's so, so important to think about because so many yoga teachers spend their careers kind of in that single threaded um, setup. And, and it is very hard to have a sustainable business mm. if you're just kind of the only person that's out there going, 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 going. There's only so many classes you can teach and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. So I think the idea of, you know, not even so much starting your own network, but connecting with teachers who like yourself have a platform so that you can get the word out about what you love to do to other people beyond just those that you might see in your local community. And it sounds like that was part of what you wanted to do with this. Platform. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, power in numbers. I mean, right. I really wanted to use my platform to help other yoga teachers succeed and especially teachers who are working so hard. We have, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I love seeing people show up to these trainings because they're so curious and dedicated and wanting to learn and also you know, great leaders in their communities, but also humble and open-minded. It's such a great combination, I think, um, of skills as a yoga teacher. And I really just, I mean, we work really hard still trying to create more um, ways to promote our teachers and, and build them up out in the community. And it's, it's a lot of our efforts actually behind the scenes at Yoga Medicine is, is trying to find ways to support our teachers more. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the trainings that I completed with you in 2017 was the cadaver dissection lab, which you mentioned before. And I, I must say out of all of the trainings I've done really in my whole life, it was one of the ones that made the biggest impact because we so often as teachers learn anatomy just from a book and learn the muscle just in isolation as a picture on a page or now online. So can you share a little bit about, I mean, it's really one of the only programs out there. There's only a handful where non-clinicians can go into the cadaver lab. How mm -hmm. did that be that you wanted to add that? Cause that kind of came fairly recently in your offerings. Yeah, I, I actually, when we first started running teacher trainings, we had a cadaver component when when I did it out of Portland so we we would okay. go we didn't get to dissect which is a very big difference so I think I think a lot of uh trainings now maybe do something similar to this but um at the time I didn't know of anyone else doing it and it was it was something to me I've always compared it to what we do with our teachers to my own medical training and wanting to raise the bar for teachers and really in my experience cadavers bring anatomy to life no no pun intended <laughs> um 
but you feel it, you palpate it, you experience it. And, you know, as yoga teachers, we're trying to stuff all this like origin, insertion, action, which is really kind of flat information until you really understand the body and see it working. Um, so I've always just wanted to, I always keep comparing what we do to, to my own experience in my medical training. We, we have rigorous, you know, they have to attend to the classes. We actually take attendance and out, I mean, they sign in. So they get credit just for what they attend. They take tests. So, um, you know, I always wanted it to be something that, that made them feel really proud of their training and, and, um, and raise the bar on what we do as yoga teachers. And so that was really where it came from for me. But yeah, I, I've had them in our trainings ever since the first one. And when we, when we grew out of Portland, then it went away for a while. And then I found, um, I found Todd um, who had a private cadaver lab and I was like, wow, this is, this is it. And so, right. so we started offering it, which is a really unique offering is ha being able to actually dissect the bodies, which um, in medical school you get to do it, but um, not all, uh, in, in MDs obviously get to do it, but not all modalities get to do the full dissection from right. beginning to end. And, and what's great about this is that it is actually different than the dissections that medical providers do because it's untreated. They have to be treated for medical providers because they're you know, doing it over a semester or a year. Um, but these are untreated. So you get to see the tissue in it's, in it's more real form, which means you get to experience the fascia uh, in a more realistic way, which is so important for us as yoga teachers. And um, we have a lot of medical providers that often come and take it to, to, to get to see the body in a different way. Right. Yeah. I can relate it back to when I was a physical therapy student at Boston university, we did not do it from the beginning. We walked mm -hmm. in the class, the thing was done for us and we just looked. And um, for the yoga teachers listening, I, I will say from my own experience, it was probably, you know, one of the most made the biggest impact. Once I had a, a good baseline of anatomy to go in and take it, it was, it was fabulous. So um, now tell us, this kind of relates a little bit to, you know, and for people listening who maybe are thinking about taking some different trainings, your 200 and 500 hour trainings, I mean, everything kind of has to fall in line to a certain extent with what Yoga Alliance says should be included. Is there some emphasis that you could share something that kind of encapsulates how your programs are focused? I mean, our, our programs really focus on meeting the needs of the teacher. And I think after you've done, for me, your 200 hours really about just getting started and teaching. And, and from there, you just kind of have to start doing it. You learn so much just by getting out there and, and teaching classes. But it's really about teaching a, a basic group class because that's really all you can learn in a 200 hour. And it's hard because there's only so much you can stuff into 200 hours. So right. Right. Um, and for me, the 500 hours is about your ongoing evolution as a teacher. And from that... I don't believe that there's like one way to do that. I really believe it depends on the teacher. So we have developed our curriculum so that the teacher gets to pick how they develop themselves as a teacher so that each one of our modules is a standalone module and a very specific piece of information so that we can go deep. So maybe it's the hip or the spine or the nervous system or meditation or yin or Chinese medicine or myofascial release. We've got all sorts of tons of different ones that focus either more on internal medicine or anatomy or yoga. Um, but each one is very specific, so we can go really deep into that content. Um, and then as teachers take more of them, they start to layer this three-dimensionality of the human body together to be able to see, oh, hey, it's not just the orthopedics and the anatomy and physiology, but there's this energetic system and there's the mind the mental health component and the meditation and the yin. And um, they can layer all this together and they'll start... They, it starts to naturally progress on its own. So teachers get to decide, do they want to focus more, 
you know, on in, internal medicine things or anatomy um, or whatever. There's so many different offerings we've got. I, I think it's almost maybe even 2000 hours now of trainings on there, but, um, but I really think it's important to let them decide how they want to develop because as I said before, nowadays, you know, as a teacher, you have the opportunity to really be specific about what you want to offer. And there's so many great things about yoga. So um, sometimes they have things you need to complete. Some of our trainings have, have things you need to read or do before you go, but um, they're all standalone trainings, which allows teachers to pick and choose how they want to develop themselves as a teacher. Um, and, and really, I think a lot of what we do is teaching our teachers to think for themselves. So giving them an understanding of the Western anatomy and physiology, and then talking about the traditional practices and, and knowing that, you know, all of our teachers come from different styles and will then leave and layer in their own information, which I think is what makes it really br brilliant. Um, right. But it also makes it accessible to everyone. And I think, you know, I always have like my parents skepticism in me. So I'm always <laughs> considering how to bring it down to earth for people who, yeah. Um, maybe even have religious backgrounds or maybe have more of a scientific perspective or to the medical providers and, and make it accessible to everyone, both in the leveling of it as well as um, how, we, how we talk about it too. Yeah, and I think that kind of mirrors what you were saying before about how teachers need to find their own niche and what they're really good at and what they really are passionate about. And when you look at the trainings that you offer, it really it matches up with what you're saying. It allows a teacher to kind of select things in the 500 hour that resonate with them, but then also maybe branch off and take something a little bit different to kind of appreciate how everything is layered together. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of the things I love so much about how yoga medicine has evolved too, is we have so many really incredible teachers now, both new coming into our trainings as well as teachers who have done five or 10 modules with us have done maybe thousand or more hours. Um, and there's something that each one of them brings, which is really incredible. So we've, we've just worked really hard on highlighting that because I think what's great about the way that we teach it is that we're really embracing this capacity for the teacher to be able to think for themselves and, and to adapt it and teach it in their own way, which is I think really what makes it brilliant rather than the cookie cutter. The cookie cutter approach can be great too. Um, yeah. I just like to take away the rigidity and the dogma that can kind of hold us back from what might be most helpful for that person, knowing that there's still a place for everything. Right. And sometimes when you begin, it's nice to have that format kind of yeah. you. And then as you get more experienced, it's nice to be able to kind of go outside that. Yeah. And I mean, they definitely get those, they get that in our, you know, the options, you know, to to look at in our trainings of, yeah. you know, here are some things and places to start. And if you're not sure, here's what to do. And, and, you know, the, all the layering of options there. Right, right. Now, I know recently you added to your, your offerings, a women's health module. And so this kind of mm -hmm. leads to um, the question about kind of where do you see things and you added mental health as well. So kind of mm -hmm. what inspired you to add those new modules? And where do you kind of see things going in the future for yeah, we, we usually add, it's kind of been a, a theme of adding one new, uh, one new curriculum each year. We'll see how long that lasts because at some point we won't be able to offer them all each year. Yeah. So we offer each one of them once a year usually in, in rotating parts of the world. But um, actually when I was at Nike, so I, I started the acupuncture program there and ran it for six or seven years. And 
when I was there, I saw, you know, everything, most of what I saw was orthopedics and sports medicine, but I saw everything. And so I started getting a stream of, of women coming in for fertility, which started to become really big in the acupuncture world then um, with some of the research coming out. And so I, I actually took on a, I went and did some studies and took on a secondary specialty in fertility. This was before I was traveling a ton. I was only traveling a little bit at the time. Um, and I really enjoyed it. It was so fun. You know, I had a wall of photos of babies that I had helped with and I really enjoyed it once I started traveling a lot. Uh, and once I left Nike and was traveling a ton, um, I wasn't able to do that anymore, but cause you've got to be there at the right time. But, um, I really enjoyed it. And so I really had fun pulling together this one. Women's health is such an interesting one too, because it's, it's something, there's so many issues in women's health that in Western medicine, we know so little about like endometriosis and polycystic ovaries and fertility and, um, and have very limited solutions to, and Chinese medicine just is brilliant at looking at and individualizing. And, and there's so many great simple tools to use with yoga and then demystifying some of the things like in yoga, we, we, we talk about not practicing on your period. Well, a lot of that is actually cultural. Women weren't allowed in the yoga studios. Well, yeah. we weren't allowed in them at all at some point, but they weren't allowed in the studios during their period. You know, it was a more of a cultural, um, uh, more of a cultural thing. And, you know, if you look at it from Chinese medicine during our period is actually when we want to keep the blood moving. It's when we shed the lining of the uterus and it prepares for the whole cycle to come. And actually having that movement and blood circulation is really important. And obviously there's, there's things you want to avoid to some extent, but um, I don't know. I think demystifying some of that stuff and empowering women um, to be able to work with their cycles and support that natural fluctuation, whether it's menopause or fertility or, or women's health issues. So I really love teaching that one. It's, it's kind of like the balance of all of the orthopedic stuff that I do. And then for me, working with pain over the years, one of the things that I've seen as, as a really common theme is, is looking at the mind. And now that we know so much about pain, we know that, we know that pain is, is actually happening in our brain. There are no pain receptors. There's just receptors in the nerves that are detecting extreme changes and things like temperature or pressure. And then my brain is constantly judging, is there danger here? And it's, you know, it's, it's filtering all of that based on our emotions and our past experience. So, I mean, the brain and mental health is, I think, such a huge part of our health and wellness. And the, the longer I do this, the more I really believe in the power of the mind is, is such an incredible thing. And, and so I felt really strongly about offering that. We also have two really incredible PhD yoga teachers that specialize in mental health and do research. And, and so it, the timing of it was just brilliant how it all came together. Um, yeah, so I think the evolution of, of, of what we do is, is really just constantly, to, constantly evolving. I think one of the things that I'm working on right now is really bringing it full circle to, to support the doctors as well and get them involved in, um, in their, own, you know, their own health and wellness. And then obviously we all know that it starts with you. Um, as a doctor, I'm not going to refer people if I don't really have – I'm not going to have as great a referral if I haven't experienced it and know firsthand. And we know how, how – much the doctors and the healthcare system is struggling. So bringing that full circle, offering more resources to our teachers, continuing to support our teachers and, and, and build them up and, and show how, how much they're doing and how great they are. Um, we have a whole team of people behind the scenes trying to work hard on, on, on all of that. So. Yeah, I know you have a big team because I'm always chatting with different people when I email <laughs> <laughs> and I know, and obviously when I go to the trainings. So I know um, just kind of wrapping up here with a couple 
last questions here. So I know some of my listeners are newer teachers because I hear from them in the comments and they've recently graduated from so-and-so's teacher training or this program or that program. Now, as an incredibly seasoned teacher with years of experience in so many different settings, can you share some advice for newer teachers to help them as they begin their teaching career? I mean, you talked a little bit earlier about this idea of finding your niche, being of service, um, you know, maybe starting out kind of with a bit of a format is, are there other things that, that, you know, as they yeah. look to you and they say, Oh my God, my head is exploding to think of having a schedule like she has or experience like, you know, that yeah. overwhelmed feeling can be so paralyzing as a new teacher. Yeah. Well, first off, you don't need to bite off a lot at the beginning, like just take one step at a time, but, but start, you know, I think for a lot of new teachers, the harder part is just starting, like just start teaching as the first step. Mm -hmm. And then, remember to keep learning. And I think it's really, I really love seeing it in our trainings because we always have a mix of some teachers who are fresh out of teacher training and some who have been teaching for 20 or 30 years. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's really wonderful to see that come together and to see that each one of those people has something really, really valuable to offer. It's kind of like, it's kind of like going into a hospital or a medical setting where you're working with an intern. The interns have the fresh information. Like the medical schools have changed a lot over the past few decades. And what we learn and like, they've got all the fresh information. And as doctors and healthcare providers, we're constantly trying to keep up with that, but it's, it's hard. So there's, there's pros and cons to working with the new people, right? The, in, the interns have all the fresh information, but the, but the senior doctors, you know, the attendings, they have the wealth of intuition. So remember that everyone has something to offer as a new yoga teacher. You're fresh. You've got all this fresh information. You got a fresh perspective, you know, a new take on things. Maybe I think the biggest thing I would say is just to keep learning and at least now we have access to so many things. You can learn online, you can buy books, you can go to trainings, you can go to workshops. There's always people traveling around in, in, in most neighborhoods nowadays. So just, I think the biggest thing is to keep learning, but also not be overwhelmed by it. It can be overwhelming by all the information that's out there now. Mm -hmm. Just remember, take one thing that looks interesting, sink your teeth into it, chew on it, teach on it, know it in your body, in your practice, and teach from that experience, teach from what you feel. And, and then those students who are interested in that will be drawn to you and, and stick to that. Like, don't try and help everyone. Don't try and do every, everything. Right. Be ready to refer people out to other classes who, who don't resonate with what you're teaching and know other classes in your area so that you can be a resource for them. Mm -hmm. um, and really just speak from what you love and, and, and don't forget your own practice. I think that's the first thing that goes to the wayside is, especially if people make the shift like 360 degrees from quitting their job to going full-time into yoga um, can be overwhelming. I always recommend if you can to like tighter into it slowly or right. keep a part-time job. Um, but, but to remember your own practice, because if you lose that, I think, I think the passion starts to die and, mm -hmm. and then the exhaustion starts to set in. And so um, for me, I really take my inspiration from my personal practice and uh, my work with students and patients and and what I find to be most helpful. And so I think there's the big picture of continuing to be dedicated to the learning, but also allowing yourself to live in the magic and the mystery of the not knowing everything right. and being okay with that. Right, right. I, I love that point too, because I think when you're newer, um, you know, you, you want to know the why of everything. And sometimes there can be information, there's information, but it doesn't always exactly fit each person the exact same way. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think what, what you said 
that I had mentioned before is like remembering that it's a service. If you remember that this, what you're doing is a service, it takes all the weight off of your shoulders to have right. to be a certain thing or do a certain thing or please people. It's right. like, I'm here to serve you and help you the best I can and offer what I can. And remember as a yoga teacher, you, you know, you know more than the students out there and, and there's always a teacher in there and that's okay. You know, they're there to learn too. They're, I learn something from every class I attend. I'll go to classes from brand new teachers and it just, it changes the way I look at things. It changes the way I think. It kind of sparks something inside of me to think in a different way. And, and so to remember that everyone there wants you to teach a good class. They don't want to come to a bad class. You know, like they want you to do well. They're there to listen and learn from you. Even, even myself, I'm there, you know, to learn from the brand new teachers as well. And there's something beautiful about that. So remembering that it's a service, I think just kind of takes all the weight off your shoulders. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. And I think a lot of what you're talking about too is just the mindset is like taking the pressure off and having faith and confidence in what you have to share that it is a value, regardless of how much experience you have teaching because you have life experience and that comes through when you teach as well. Yeah. It's the catch 22 of, of making your passion, your job. Like it's kind of the thing nowadays to like do what you love and quit your job and have this perfect job. But then the catch 22 is like when you do what you love for work, it also, it also becomes work. And so I have to keep remembering why I love it. And, and for me, that's my personal practice. Right. Um, right. And, and you really have to love what you do. And so, yeah. So for some people that might be teaching part-time or just teaching, you know, friends or family or teaching in a specific place um, for others, it's teaching full-time, but uh, it's remembering your passion, remembering what you love, remembering it's a service and just to keep learning. The, the learning for me is what inspires the curiosity and the love of the practice and the love of just this awe of the human body and the spirit and this connection to people around us. And, um, I think I just, I just live in awe of that. And, and, and me myself, even knowing that there's so much that I don't know, there's so much more to learn in, in so many different areas. Like I, I love that. And so I kind of have to be okay with that of the not knowing. Mm -hmm. Now this kind of leads me to my last question. You know, I imagine uh, in your free time that you're probably like head down in a book or watching an online course <laughs> with your books on. And your husband's like, please, can we go hiking? But, you know, especially to give people like a sense of like the other things that you like to do. What do you do in your free time when you have free time? <laughs> I know you were a big tennis player. It's then. so funny. I, I really do love what I do. And I, I remember I used to date someone before who was like, you need a hobby, Tiffany. It's not balanced. You have to have a hobby. And I was like, but and I remember putting so much pressure on myself to try and find this like hobby, this thing I did yeah. that was aside from my work. But it was so funny because my husband said to me the other day, like not too, for me a few months ago, he's like, but I just think you love your job so much that like yeah. the rest of us really need hobbies to like get away from our jobs. But for me, it's almost like I just want to rest. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of have to find, I struggle with finding a way to turn off my brain because Otherwise, I'm sitting there thinking about all these things I want to do and, and how I'm going to create these things and, and, and do stuff. Um, so for me, it's more just trying to find more passive relaxation time. Maybe that's going for a hike or it's usually pretty spontaneous. Walking Lulu, playing with Lulu, relaxing, watching a movie. Watching TV is good for me because then I like stop thinking. <laughs> the, the, the downside to me having downtime when we go away is that then I start thinking about and planning all these yeah. new things. Yeah. 
You're like, we're supposed to be on vacation. We're not supposed to be planning. <laughs> and for those who don't know, Lulu is her dog. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Just to give some context there. Yeah. Just um, like fun, unexplained things, I think. Going down, walking down to the winery down the street from us or going to the water or yeah. trying not to have it be too planned because I'm a planner and I plan yeah. on everything. So. Yeah. Now, for people who don't know where you're based when you're not traveling, what state are you in? You're in? I'm in Seattle, Washington. Seattle, Washington. Okay, great. Um, well, Tiffany, I can't thank you enough for doing this. I know you are so busy, so I really, really appreciate the time, and I know the listeners will, too. I think this has been such a great balance of, like, informative content, but also just inspiring and, you know, really, you know, kind of shoring teachers up because as you mentioned, you know, you're out there in the trenches and sometimes it can be challenging and you can feel like you're kind of losing sight of where you want to be. But I think a lot of what you share just, you know, is going to really fill people up with inspiration and support. And yeah. just in closing, if people want to find out more about your programs, how do they do that? It's all at, at yogamedicine.com, um, all the nonprofit, our, we've got online trainings, teacher trainings in person. We've got a lot of articles with information. We have our find a teacher side. Um, everything's on there. You can find on there information about the nonprofits. And right. I think just remember too, like there's so much out there as a yoga teacher. It's such a great, incredible time to be a yoga teacher right now. So <laughs> just keep learning and have fun with it. Enjoy it. Find people to surround yourself with who support you. And, and, and encourage you along that path and, um, and enjoy the process. Yeah, that, that is just such a great way to tie it all together. And I'm going to link to your website in the show notes. So for the listeners, when you um, click the link, you'll be taken right to the website. So, and also as you're listening, when you're done, please leave us a comment. Let us know any thoughts you have about the podcast today. So thank you again, Tiffany, so much. I'm so appreciative. And have a wonderful, wonderful weekend because it is a Friday here that we are taping on Friday, May 31st, off to June 1st tomorrow. So I hope you have a great weekend and your next trip is next week. So um, have a wonderful training. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was great All to right. chat. Talk to you later. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.